You know, up front here, I keep um, a few extra things under this uh, podium, and I'm going to pull them out right now. I keep extra batteries because I've been in a number of services where my batteries die on the microphone. And I'm up front, and the, the batteries die. I don't know why. Sometimes the batteries just go quick or whatever it may be. It's not just here at Bethel. It's at my previous church, too. You just need batteries. And um, a few weeks ago, actually, or a month ago, I noticed halfway through the service, my batteries were dead on my mic. And I was running around to the office trying to find batteries, and I got some. And, you know, we have batteries in a lot of things, don't we? Any of you use a cell phone? Everybody, most people use cell phones now, and the battery needs to stay charged or it doesn't work, right? If the battery goes dead, your cell phone goes dead. Remember the days, maybe you still use it, uh, cordless phones, and you had to, like, keep them on their charger. And the battery would eventually die, and it would start to beep or something. Uh, you know, uh, you got to keep those batteries charged. How many times, how many of us have ever tried to go out to our car, and the battery's dead, and you have to get it jump-started, or you have to... this day and age, you can call AAA. A few years ago, I had a Ford Expedition. I love that car. It's gone now. It's okay. But I had a Ford Expedition, and um, I went out. I was going to a hospital visit, got a call. Somebody was in the hospital, and go to start it, and nothing. Nothing whatsoever at all. It didn't even, it didn't even try to start. It totally let me down. I still love the car, though. But... It had a power drain, and that power drain completely, totally drained the whole battery. You know, our computers take batteries, our cars take batteries. We are quite dependent on batteries now. And I want to make the case today as we talk about love, that a Christian without love is like a cell phone with a dead battery. A Christian without love is like a car with a dead battery. A Christian without love is like that laptop with a dead battery. Love is so important to the Christian life. And we're going to get into that here in just a minute with my theme that, uh, that we pray. My theme in Application Day is that we pray that we and our children will love as Jesus called us to love. And Jesus called us to love self-sacrificially. And when we do not love, we are like that dead cell phone. It goes totally black, totally dead, totally blank because the battery's dead. And that is how we are without love as Christians. Coy Tin Boom, in the book Reflections of God's Glory, wrote the following. She said, in Africa, a man came to a meeting with bandaged hands. I asked him how he had been injured. He said, my neighbor's straw roof was on fire. I helped him put it out. And that's how my hands were burned, so the man said. Corey Tin Boom continues, Later I heard the whole story. The neighbor hated him and had set his roof on fire while his wife and children were asleep in the hut. They were in great danger. Fortunately, he was able to put out the fire in his house on time. But sparks flew over to the roof of the man who had set the house on fire. And his house started to burn. There is no hate in the heart of the Christian. There was love for his enemy, and he did everything he could to put out the fire in his neighbor's house. That is how his hands were burned. His hands were burned putting out the fire in the person's house who had tried to burn his house, killing him, his wife, and children. 
That is loving actions. So today I want to talk about prayer and love, and I want to challenge you to pray that we love in a 1 Corinthians 13 way. Pray it. You can pray that passage. You can pray 1 Corinthians 13 right back to God. It's scripture. Pray it right back to God. You can summarize it and paraphrase it in your prayer life, and I want to challenge you to do that. You know, over the past few years, I have been convicted to add 1 Corinthians 13 to my prayer list, and I wonder, do you have a prayer list? And I wonder, do you have certain scriptures that you regularly pray to God? Scriptures that God has applied to your life and God has said, pray this passage. You know, we could use many different passages to talk about loving as Jesus called us to love. And I've been convicted to pray different passages. You know, Jesus talked about the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Look at Luke 10 and the lawyer trying to trap Jesus said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the point is, we're to even love our enemy as ourselves. Even our enemy is our neighbor. They're included. But today I want to talk about this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Turn there if you would, please. If you brought your Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to get my Bible off the table here and turn there as well. It's important for us to uh, actually look at the Bible. If you uh, have it on your smartphone, that's fine too, as long as your battery is charged. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Then we'll talk about it. Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says, this is starting at verse 4. He says, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And we're going to stop right there for today. This, this scripture passage begins by saying love is. Love is. And Paul begins to write about love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul wrote about spiritual gifts. Whenever you're studying the Bible, look at the context. What is uh, being written before the passage, after the passage. So what's the context of this chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians? Well, the context is spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul wrote about the theology of spiritual gifts. The theology of spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul wrote about the motivation behind spiritual gifts. The motivation. What motivates us to seek these spiritual gifts? What motivates us to care about these spiritual gifts? Love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul wrote about the use of spiritual gifts. Theology of spiritual gifts, motivation of spiritual gifts, the practice, the use of spiritual gifts. And we use this passage at weddings, and there's nothing wrong with that. But this passage was written to a church dealing with divisions. The Corinthian church was a divided church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, 
we see Paul's thesis for this letter to Corinth. And Paul writes this in, in, in chapter 1, verse 10. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. Paul's thesis, and certainly being inspired by the Holy Spirit for this letter in Corinth, uh, to the church at Corinth, was that they would agree. <laughs> they would have the same mind. They were a divided church. The church at Corinth had great divisions. To cite a few examples, they were divided by knowledge. We see that in 1 Corinthians 1, 27-31. They were divided over food sacrifice to idols. We see that in chapters 8 through 10. They, they were even divided over communion and worship. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. They were divided over spiritual gifts. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. They were a divided church. So here in chapter 13, Paul writes about love. Paul could have written about love in chapter 7. I mean, he was writing about marriage right there. He could have written about love right there. When writing about marriage, he could have put this nice, wonderful, grand chapter about love. But he sandwiched it right after talking about worship and talking about spiritual gifts. Right in between two major chapters about the use of spiritual gifts, the theology of spiritual gifts, he writes about love. And he writes about love to a church that was greatly divided. And to me, that makes it incredibly applicable to us, to the American church. We need also to seek this kind of love. If we want to pray that our descendants love as Jesus calls us to love, we must pray this passage. And, and this passage uses the Greek word agape to describe love. Agape is, is God's love. It's a self-sacrificing type of love. The love of God. Uh, and, and the Greeks had four different words to, de to define love. And oftentimes, we make a big deal about them. We'll say, oh, this is agape, this is storge, this is, this is uh, phileo, uh, this is uh, eros, this is these different Greek words. Though I, I heard one Bible scholar say that by this point in the first century, a lot of those words probably just blurred together. The definitions just blurred together. So they may not have differentiated each definition as much as we may think. But sometimes... We may love messages like this. We, we just love to talk about love. And we would just say, love, love, love. That's all we need. Wasn't that a Beatles song? It's before my time. But, you know, and we just love to talk about love. We want our children to love everyone. We want our grandchildren to love everyone. And, and that's true. But let me impress upon you. We must first love God. And to be loving... But not loving to God is not right. There are a lot of people who may be very loving to everyone, but not love God. In fact, we could easily love to the point of condoning sin, and that's disrespecting God. And in fact, we may erroneously think that it is loving to condone sin, and that is not loving. It's not loving at all. 
It's never loving to, uh, to condone sin rather than approach the sin with grace and with truth, trying to ask and encourage somebody in a loving relationship to repent. I wanted to say that as well. We must be tolerant and love self-sacrificing, but that does not mean we condone sinful behaviors either. You know, I read this. It, it, it's what is love from a children's point of view? These are quotes from children and love. It says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too, and that's love. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. Love from a child's perspective. Love is when someone hurts you and you get so mad, but you don't yell at them because you know it would hurt their feelings. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure that it tastes okay. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and just listen. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he is handsomer than Robert Redford. <laughs> Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him all alone all day. And one more, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. Well, how does God define love? Let, let's look specifically at this passage, these, these um, adjectives that define love in this passage. If you look in the ancient Greek, in the, in the, in the Greek that was, this was originally penned in, originally written in, they were verbs. They were, there were verbs that the Apostle Paul used to define love. Uh, the English uses adjectives. Uh, we don't need to do a grammar lesson, but I thought I'd share that. Love is patient. It starts by saying love is patient. And, um, and, and notice that these are examples of Christ's character. When, when Paul wrote this, these are examples of Christ's character. In Christ's character, Jesus is patient. And patience means long-suffering or suffers long. Love suffers long. Love is long-suffering. Love does not give up. And we can see that in Christ's character, right? Jesus is patient with us. Jesus suffers long with us. Jesus doesn't give up on us. And think about that for a second. What does it mean to be patient? You know, we know what patience is not, don't we? We know when we are not patient. I know when I'm not being patient. I can easily get agitated and irritated and angry because I'm not being patient. But this passage is saying love is patient. Love is long-suffering. Love suffers long. Love is kind. The Bible says that love is kind. The scriptures say in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. Love is kind. Love looks at the interest of others before your own interests. Love considers others of a higher value than ourselves. Love considers others more important than ourselves. Love is kind. 
It's the idea of helping. It's the idea of assisting. We must pray that our descendants in ourselves live out this passage being kind. Pray this passage. Pray that God helps you to have this 1 Corinthians 13 type of love. This 1 Corinthians 13 patience and kindness. Pray that you live this. Love is not jealous. And this carries the idea of being envious. This has the idea of being zealous over someone in a bad way. Being jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. And this goes along with Proverbs 16.16. Proverbs 16.16 says, Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. This has been defined as follows. To behave in an ugly, indecent, unseemly, or unbecoming manner. Unbecomingly. That means you're behaving in an ugly, indecent, unseemly, or unbecoming manner. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. There may be days, right, where you just feel like you're provoked to anger and things of that nature. But anger passed down to children. Anger would be passed down to the children, and we don't want that, do we? I love this little illustration I got. Jay Kessler, president of Taylor University, told about a state trooper who was awarded an outstanding trooper award. Kessler, who attended the same church as a trooper, said to him, The governor said that in 15 years as a trooper, you haven't once roughed up a drunk or used excessive force on anyone. How can you be a state trooper for 15 years dealing with the kind of stuff you deal with and have that happen? Well, I guess two things, the trooper responded. First, if I am called to break up a fight at a tavern, I never say to myself, there's a drunk. I always say to myself, There's a man, someone's husband, someone's son, someone's neighbor who got drunk. So I always try to think of him as a man, not a crime. Secondly, the Bible says that a soft answer turns away wrath. So whenever I walk up to the window of an automobile, I always speak a little lower than the person I'm speaking to. It's a powerful illustration because the Proverbs do say that a soft answer turns away wrath. And when we raise our voice, it automatically gives a perception that you're being yelled at. And the person is automatically going to raise theirs. What a great illustration. Looking at the, the rest of this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not take into account a wrong suffered. You know, what good is it to take into account a wrong suffered? What good is it to keep a record of wrongs, a list of wrongs? Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. We rejoice with the truth. Apologist, author, and speaker Josh McDowell writes the following. Tolerance says, you must approve of what I do. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will love you even when your behavior offends me. Tolerance says, you must agree with me. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will tell you the truth because I'm convinced the truth will set you free. Tolerance says, you must allow me to have my way. Love responds, 
I must do something harder. I will plead with you to follow the right way because I believe you are worth the risk. Tolerance seeks to be inoffensive. Love takes risks. Tolerance glorifies division. Love seeks unity. Tolerance costs nothing. Love costs everything. Now, I like that, though our society has changed the word tolerance. To be tolerant means that even though you may not condone a sin or condone something going on, you still maintain a relationship and you still love that person. It doesn't mean you condone the behavior. I like what one person said. Uh, you tolerate the smell of the outhouse. That doesn't mean you like the smell of the outhouse. You tolerate it for a specific purpose. Continuing this passage, love bears, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I find that a great breakdown for these few verses. And then verse 8, love never fails because it's patient. It suffers long. It never fails. And it literally would say that love never falls to the ground which means that it is never defeated. It never falls. It's never defeated. And as Christians without love, we're like that dead energizer battery. It does no good. We're like that car when you go to start it and it is totally dead because it had a power drain all night. We want our children and grandchildren to live out the scriptures, don't we? I think we all would say that. Then we must make sure we are praying the scriptures for them. And we must make scriptures like this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 and make it a part of us. Meditate on it. Pray it back to God and say, Lord, I'm coming up short, but I need your help. Help me to love in this way. Help my children to love in this way. Help us to have long-suffering love. Love that suffers long. Love that is patient. Love that is kind. Love that is active. Love that is a verb. Help us to love everyone. Author Ken Sand gives an example of how loving actions can communicate forgiveness. Loving actions can do much more than change your feelings. They can also communicate in unmistakable terms the reality of your forgiveness and your commitment to reconciliation. Thomas Edison apparently understood this principle. When he and his staff were developing the incandescent light bulb... It took hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours, to manufacture one single bulb. One day, after finishing a bulb, he handed it, Thomas Edison handed the bulb to a young errand boy and asked him to take it upstairs to the testing room. As the boy turned and started up the stairs, he stumbled and fell, and the bulb shattered on the steps. Instead of rebuking the boy, Edison reassured him and then turned to his staff and told them to start working on another bulb. When it was completed several days later, Edison demonstrated the reality of his forgiveness in the most powerful way possible. He walked over to the same boy, the same boy who ruined by stumbling the first light bulb. Edison walked over to that boy handed him the bulb and said, please take this upstairs to the testing room. Imagine how that boy must have felt. He knew that he did not deserve to be trusted with this responsibility again. 
Yet here it was, being offered to him again, as though nothing had ever happened. Nothing could have restored this boy to the team more clearly and more quickly or more fully. Love. You know, as we talk about love, the first thing that we need to do is we need to love Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we need to serve him. And I want to ask you, as I always do every Sunday, I need to ask, do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Are you committed to him? Are you pursuing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you pursuing God? You know, I ask two diagnostic questions oftentimes. Have you come to a place in your life where you know for certain that if you were to die today, you would join Jesus in heaven? And the second one, if you have not, would you want to do that today? And of course, that's something to think about. Have you believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you confessed that you're a sinner and need a Savior? Have you committed to him? And many people, and maybe most, maybe all of you, would say yes. And I want to ask a follow-up question. Are you a disciple of him? Because I'll meet with various people, and they'll answer those questions. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, he's my Lord and Savior. Yes, I'm committed to him. But as I look at their life pastorally, and I think, well, why aren't you ever at church? Why aren't you ever with God's family? Are you a disciple? And, you know, I've had the joy of leading many people through a certain discipleship class. And I'll be starting that here at Bethel, hopefully in a month or so. And I shared about that in Sunday school. And sometimes when I lead them through that discipleship class, and they start meeting with a prayer partner, and they start memorizing scripture, and they start being held accountable to do daily devotions. They look back and they think, that's when they really were saved. There's one particular man, and he's in charge of young adults at Alliance Friends now. And I had the joy of leading him through discipleship. And he even told me, that might have been, when he started that discipleship class, that might have been when he actually really got saved. He was baptized before that. He grew up in church, but he wasn't really a disciple. And I want to ask, are you a disciple of King Jesus? Are you living for King Jesus? If you're not, today is a day to repent. And I would like to help you in any way I can. Let us pray right now. Lord Jesus, help us to be disciples of you. And being disciples means that we love you and we love our neighbors ourselves. We love our neighbor. Being disciples means that we uh, are committed to you, to following you. Being disciples means that we, 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 we make disciples. We want to share you with other people. Lord Jesus, you have transformed our life. You have metamorphosized us. You are changing us. You are renewing us. You are filling us with your spirit. How can we not be energized to share that with other people? Oh, Lord, give us Holy Spirit-filled divine appointments to share the gospel with others. And may we live for you. Help us to love because the world pushes on us and makes it difficult sometimes. The devil wants to cause division, but you want to bring us together. Just like you told the church at Corinth to be united, to be in agreement. Help us to love. Help our love to suffer long. Lord, help us to live out this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. And if there's people here who do not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day where they turn their life over to you. And say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And you are the only Savior. I believe in you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you. I'm trusting in you. 
and I'm committing my life to you. Help us to live for you this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.